Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from socially distant locations at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, we now know that the NFC Divisional Playoff game at Lambeau Field will be the Packers against the Los Angeles Rams. Saturday, 3.35 p.m. Central Time kickoff. And the Rams, the number six seed in the NFC, got to this stage by knocking off the Seahawks in Seattle and they did it with defense and they did it with navigating some difficult injury situations as well. They really did Mike. And this game I thought really taught you exactly what the Los Angeles Rams are all about. Sean McVay is a fantastic NFL coach. He's a brilliant offensive mind, but the Rams have had to win with their defense this year. And that was another example of how dominating LA can be when they have to. Aaron Donald ended up suffering that rib cartilage injury, but you saw how impactful he was, had like back-to-back sacks on plays. Jalen Ramsey, their big acquisition a couple years ago, one of the best shutdown cornerbacks in the league, you know, and then even Darius Williams too. I mean, they have all these guys that they can throw at you and really complicate things. And then on the other side of it, John Wolford goes down with the stinger. You have Jared Goff playing 12 days after the thumb surgery. It needed to be Cam Akers, and it was Cam Akers. That Seattle defense, we talked about it all year, Mike. They really aren't the Seattle defense of old. Cam Akers made them pay for it. And even though, you know, it was one of those, you know, rough and ready NFC South duels, this was, or excuse me, NFC West duels, this was the type of game I thought where the Los Angeles Rams showed why they deserve to be a playoff team and why exactly they can't be a team that you sleep on. Yeah, it's interesting when you think just a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, less than a month ago, this is a Rams team that lost to the New York Jets. And you just wonder, was that, you know, sort of the wake up call that they needed? And they've been dealing with injuries, you know, with when golf went down with the thumb, they weren't really sure, you know, how things were going to go. They were going with Wolford as the backup quarterback to start the playoff game, but he gets hit by Jamal Adams pretty early. Goff has to go in. He's got the, you know, the pins in his thumb and all of that. He actually ends up completing less than 50% of his passes, but you said it. Cam Akers was the guy that Seattle Seahawks defense did not have an answer for him. His running the ball, catching passes out of the backfield, and then combined with that Rams defense, which even without Aaron Donald still really controlled things in the second half. And then also, of course, in the first half, got that pick six by Darius, Darius Williams. Did I say that right? Yeah. Um, on the, uh, on the wide receiver screen. So um, this, uh, this really sets up Saturday afternoon at Lambeau field as, as a whale of a matchup. And there are a number of storylines we can try to touch on here in the limited time we have, but you have, the number one scoring offense in the league with the Packers against the number one scoring defense in the league in the Rams. You have the longtime connection, the friendship between Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay. They coached for four years together with Washington. Then also for a year when McVay first got the job with the Rams, he hired LaFleur as his offensive coordinator. You have the Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey matchup on the perimeter. You have Aaron Donald against Corey Lindsley and others on the interior. Those are those four guys I just mentioned, all first team, all pros in the NFL in 2020. I don't know where you want to start, Wes, but go ahead, my friend. When you have the reigning defensive player of the year in Aaron Donald, a guy that, you know, it's so funny when you go back and think about that draft six, seven years ago, they were worried about his size. Size doesn't matter. 13 and a half sacks, size doesn't matter. You'll just take those numbers every day of the week. One of maybe arguably pound for pound the strongest players to ever put on NFL pads. And he's been a problem for teams all season long. 
But the other side of it, as you mentioned, this isn't one specific guy. It isn't one specific thing that makes them go. It's a, it's a sum of the whole for them. And I think when you look at this matchup for Green Bay, the Packers' top-scoring offense in the league against the top-scoring uh, defense in the league in terms of what they prevented this season, it really shows you what the NFL postseason is all about. I wrote about this in Insider Inbox this week. These are the eight best teams left in the National Football League, and they've all done it in different ways. You have McVay and you have LaFleur, who come from the same coaching tree, but you see how different their offenses look, how different their teams have been built, how differently they win games but they both were still among the top in time of possession in the league this year. They both have been able to win at times with all three phases of this game. So I think when this game comes down to it, you're looking at probably a 20 degree night at Lambeau field. Uh, the, the atmosphere being able to have 6,000 fans back in attendance. That's where this game really tilts towards green Bay's advantage. And it's the reason why Mike, ever since Mike Vrabel said it, I'm going to continue to say it games in which the Packers protect the football. They win those games. This is a game that I think that's what it's going to come down to. It doesn't matter what the health situation is of Donald. It doesn't matter what things are going on with Jared Goff's thumb. The Packers need to protect the football, and they need to use this atmosphere, this thing that they've owned, that they've earned, being able to get home field advantage at Lambeau Field. That has to be towards their benefit. Yeah, it at this point, it doesn't sound like Mother Nature is going to make this one of these crazy January games at Lambeau. It's sounding like a high temperature of around 30 degrees, but with a 3.30 kickoff, you know, by halftime, the temperature will be starting to drop. I'm guessing it's going to be mostly in the 20s for the, uh, for the bulk of this game. So nothing, uh, nothing crazy cold. We'll have to see if maybe there's a, yeah, maybe we'll have to see maybe if there's a, if there's a chance of snow, I did actually go back and check every single one of the Rams games this year. And what the kickoff temperature was, the Rams did not play a game with a kickoff temperature of less than 60 degrees until week 16 against Seattle. It was 45 degrees. Then this past week in Seattle, it was 39 degrees. Those are the two coldest games they've played. The Packers this year have played seven games with the temperature at 38 degrees or less. So this is, as you said, this is what the Packers have earned. This is what they're built for. This is what they were born for is to play playoff games at Lambeau field in January and uh, they certainly hope that they can they can take advantage of it. And you just wonder from an injury standpoint, how close will Donald be to 100%? What will the Rams do at quarterback? If Wolford is ready to go, are they more comfortable with him than trying to have a guy with a, a surgically repaired thumb in the cold trying to make passes? Yeah. All of those kinds of things. Those are the storylines we're going to be watching here as the week unfolds. Well, the number one storyline to me on the offensive side of the ball is Cam Akers because the, the Los Angeles Rams defense was, or excuse me, offense was different in the second half of the year when they committed to Akers as their back. Now, certainly Henderson, Malcolm Brown, they have a, a three-headed approach there in different guys that can handle it. They all know the offense, but Akers is the difference maker. He's the guy that they drafted. That's the guy they wanted to build this thing around after Todd Gurley was let go. And when he has been right, when he's been healthy, it's made an impact on everything. Wolford is an interesting guy because I know so many people made a big deal about, well, he hasn't played in an NFL game before. He's not going to be able to do this when he had to go into that postseason matchup with Goff injured. But the thing is, is that if you go back and look at it, he's had a lot of pelts on the wall. It hasn't been at the NFL level, but he's played a lot of football. And Sean McVay has said all along that this is a guy that's really impressed him. And I think when push comes to shove, he can manage the offense. So if he's able to go, it would be interesting to see him get that nod. Conversely, 
Goff is going to be one week better knowing what he has to do to compensate for that thumb. He said it's not 100%. It's still going to be something he has to deal with, but it is fixed. I mean, he got it surgically repaired. Now the question is just getting the comfort back. If you watch that game last week, there were a couple moments where you just sort of saw him shot put the ball, just not get his full throwing motion into it. He's going to be able to lean back on all those experiences if he does get the start here against Green Bay and be able to make the adjustments. Jared Goff's a good enough quarterback he's going to be able to do that but you have to go back to the running game and if Green Bay can do what it's done for the better part of six weeks now containing acres or whoever the Rams throw at them that's going to be the difference maker because then it changes the complexion of McVay's offense yeah absolutely and you certainly feel much better about the way the Packers are defending the run now than they were at the tail end of last season where you were you were seeing the the, the cracks in the in the defense and obviously it, uh, you know, it bit the Packers in the postseason uh, in San Francisco where they just could not contain the running game. That's where I think on the defensive side of the ball, that's where the Packers are in so much better shape for this postseason than they were last postseason is the way they're defending the run. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it's, a, it's about the balance and it's about the explosiveness. I mean, th- as I mentioned, this team has played a ton of cold weather games this year, yet it led the league in scoring at 31 plus points per game. I mean, in the snow against Tennessee, the Packers put up 40 points. This is a, this is an offense that when it is balanced, when it has the running game, when it has the play action, you have Devonte Adams and Robert Tunyon. This, this, this offense is as good as it gets right now in the NFL. And uh, you can't ask for a better matchup here than this offense against LA's defense. No. And then also that the aspect of Devonte Adams versus Jalen Ramsey, we got a very small appetizer of that back in 2016, which I think might've been Jalen Ramsey's first NFL game. He got a little bit of a taste of what it's like to match up with Adams before Devonte Adams became the four-time pro bowler that we know him to be now. And seeing where both of these guys have adapted, adjusted, and grown in their game is really interesting to watch because they're both all pros now. They're both top of their position. But the the cat and mouse game that LaFleur tries to play with Adams is going to be really interesting to watch. We saw him move around a little bit more these last few weeks, being able to work him into the slot and those type of things, being able to really expand his, his resume there, his repertoire. And, and that's worked to Green Bay's advantage in a lot of times. So you go back to what you do well this time of the year. And for Green Bay, it's been a multifaceted running game approach, and it's by finding ways to get Devontae Adams the ball. I think this game is very much the same in that way and seeing exactly how Green Bay can adapt to what L.A. is giving them because it's going to be a strong defense. You know it's going to be. You have to protect the football, and when you do get opportunities, it's going to be imperative that Green Bay capitalizes them and turns them into explosive plays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do want to review a little bit of what else went on on Wild Card Weekend, Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. But first, Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88 is the only radio outlet dedicated to the National Football League seven days a week, 365 days a year. Okay, on the other half of the NFC bracket, we have an NFC South showdown. New Orleans will be hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they will be meeting for the third time in 2020. The Saints won the first two meetings. The second of those was an absolute blowout, 38-3 to on national TV. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, you talk, you talk about an offense that is hot with the Green Bay <laughs> Packers. The Buccaneers and Tom Brady, that is an offense that since they had their bye in week 13, a very late bye week, but since that bye in week 13, nobody has really been able to slow down this Buccaneers offense. And that includes a Washington defensive front 
that regardless of Washington's record, that was a really, really good defensive front and a pass yeah. rush that really had no impact on the Buccaneers offense. Tampa Bay controlled that game in the trenches and uh, you tip your, t- you tip your hat to Taylor Heineke. My goodness, what an effort to keep Washington in that game. But Tampa Bay was just too good. Yeah. For, first and foremost, for a guy that was signed onto the practice squad had been going for, I think for his engineering degree had kind of been away from the game to come in in the middle of December on the practice squad and then end up playing in a, in a, postseason game with meaningful ramifications for Washington with everything they've had to weather this year. I mean, just the craziest of two thousands and twenties, Alex Smith coming back and being a great story, Ron Rivera and his cancer battle. They've had to deal with so many different aspects of this thing. And for it to come down to Taylor Heineke, uh, you got to give credit that this was even a ball game. That being said, as cool of a story as Taylor Heineke was as many interesting throws that he made in that game, the reason why Washington was in this position was their defense and the defense just didn't show up. I mean, it just didn't have an answer for Tom Brady. It wasn't able to pressure them. They kind of fell into this pattern where they were just sort of stuck. And for the Buccaneers, why they're so dangerous. Yes, it is Brady. It's he makes a massive difference. He's protecting the ball better than Jameis Winston did. And in the Buccaneers had a good defense a year ago and they've gotten better this season. But it really comes down to the fact that Leonard Fournette ends up being called into action, the guy that they acquired in season because now Ronald Jones was down in this game. It comes down to Antonio Brown. For as much as, as people make the off-the-field situations, and we can debate that and talk about it and everything, he's on the Buccaneers roster, and he made an impact in this game. And he's been a really good complement to what they're doing with Mike Evans, who's been throwing, been playing through some injuries of his own. They are dynamic, and they've found themselves. Now, this game... This one coming up, I know we're not previewing yet, but the the Buccaneers and the Saints, that that's what this comes down to. It's a division that has been powerful this year. It's two teams that I think have been at the top of the NFC heap, and now they're going to score off with each other with the best one being able to get to the NFC title game. Yeah, and Brady and Breeze, that's certainly one that, uh, that people look forward to in the playoffs. We've seen it already twice in the regular season go New Orleans' way. We'll see about that whole, you know, can you beat a team three times in, uh, in one season. I, I don't know about you. I just don't take much out of the Saints wildcard victory. Uh, the, the Bears really didn't put up much of a fight. It felt like Chicago defensively was hanging in the game for quite a while. They were making some things difficult on Drew Brees and the Saints. But offensively, Chicago was just trying to protect Mitch Trubisky from making a mistake. And yeah. you just you, you can't well, go out and win a playoff game that way. Um so it felt inevitable in the second half that New Orleans would start to run away with it. That being said, I do think New Orleans has a really sound defense. I'm curious to see how that defense matches up with Brady and the Buccaneers a third time. But it's really hard to it's really hard to get a feel for just where the Saints are right now because uh, th- frankly they didn't get that big of a challenge last weekend. Yeah, to me, it came down to the Saints kind of playing with their food a little bit. Uh, this game really shouldn't have been as close as it ended up being, especially in the first half. They just they weren't able to really find their rhythm. But once they did, it, I mean, the decision was at hand. For me, it came down to two things. Uh, the Bears stopped being able to run the ball. That was the reason they had the resurgence. David Montgomery and, yep. and Green Bay kind of had a blueprint for that, for what they wanted to do to defend them. And the Saints and how powerful their defense has been this season, uh, they followed that to a T. They couldn't break anything on the ground. And when it is put in Mitchell Trubisky's hands, I don't mean to dog on the guy. We've talked about him ad nauseum, but it just wasn't going to work out uh, for the Bears. So here they are. I mean, now that the Saints took care of business, they're the number two seed. It was exactly what the two versus seven matchup should look like. And now they're in the divisional round. So uh, it it is one of those things where I think the, the Saints are going to have to find themselves a little bit. You know, if Michael Thomas gets going again, 
you know, Kamara, certainly you have the, the Taysom Hill factor, but it just kind of feels like they've been sort of, you know, they've had moments and they've had setbacks. Now can they get back into that offensive rhythm that everybody's known about? And can they turn back a, a Tampa Bay defense that's been pretty darn good all season long? Yeah, well, on the AFC side of things, your two divisional round matchups will have the Kansas City Chiefs, the top seed, hosting Cleveland. And on the other side, Baltimore traveling to Buffalo. Both of those really interesting from the standpoint of Cleveland just puts up a boatload of points against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers to win the wildcard game. And then on the other side, Buffalo and Baltimore both playing, getting pretty solid efforts, I would say, on both sides of the ball. I thought maybe if I were to pick one team out of uh, all of the wildcard participants over the weekend that looked the most impressive to me on both sides of the ball, I think I'd have to say Baltimore. They fell behind 10 to nothing and then just completely dominated and controlled the Tennessee Titans the rest of the way in that game. What has impressed me about Baltimore this year is last year they had the MVP. Uh, Lamar Jackson was an enigma. No one knew how to defend him and they won a lot of games on his shoulders this year. It hasn't been that way. Teams have had a counter. They've had a plan for Jackson, but over the course of the year, Baltimore has learned how to win. Uh, not in spite of him, he's still a very talented quarterback, but they've had to learn how to win as a team again. And I, I think that's where, when you look at the final stretch of the year, when you want to build to a crescendo, when you want to be able to be an impactful unit, that's where Baltimore is. And defensively, they've had some really strong performances, obviously a big challenge with Derrick Henry there, but you know, being able to get Mark Andrews going again and in their running game and those type of things, I, I just feel like when you look at a three phase approach, uh, Baltimore is heading the direction that they, they want to head in. And, and obviously uh, a huge win over a Tennessee team that looked good early on in that matchup. It just so happened that, that the Ravens were kind of able to outlast them. Yeah. And there's a lot of, bitterness between those two teams I guess to put it mildly and uh, um, those uh, there, there were a lot of a lot of bad blood you could say on the field in uh, in Nashville there but Baltimore ends up getting the win and moving on and the Ravens now back to the stage they were last year where they flamed out in the division round as the one seed with the bye uh, you know when Tennessee beat them so now the Ravens are going to try to be the road warriors yeah to uh, to make that run at a Super Bowl. One other topic that I want to get to here, Wes, before we sign off for today, didn't get to it last week and that's my fault, but a big congratulations to go out to two of the best defensive backs to ever put on a Packers uniform. Charles Woodson and Leroy Butler were officially announced as finalists for Pro Football Hall of Fame induction, the class of 2021. They will find out the night before the Super Bowl if they are going into Canton. And while I believe it's pretty much a given that Charles Woodson is going to get in, in his first year of eligibility, we'll have to see what happens with Butler. He's, he's in a tough spot, but he's gotten back to this finalist stage. Now he's been there before. And, you know, if you can kind of keep getting on this role, however many years it takes, I think uh, Leroy doesn't really care. He just wants it to happen at some point, right? It's it's so funny. I even wrote this in inbox. I think I care more about Leroy being a <laughs> modern era uh, inductee into the Hall of Fame than he does. He said it time and time again in all the interviews I've done with him going back to my days at the Press Gazette. He just wants to get in. It doesn't matter to him which row. But the realistic thing is, Mike, is he has five more years to make it as a modern era nominee. I want to see the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters 
do that. Give him that honor because he deserves it. I was listening to, to Ron Wolf on Mark Daniels show uh, on Monday night. And, you know, Wolf said, when you go back to it, and he said this before, but it, it always really rings true to me is that when he was looking at that team and what they were accomplishing in 96 and 97, he thought about it. He's like, we have multiple Hall of Famers on this team. And he wasn't just talking about Brett Favre and Reggie White. He was talking about Leroy Butler. Yeah. And on this, on this medium, on Unscripted, I've stated his case before. I've been angry before I'm trying to take a new approach, at least until uh, the votes come down next month in saying that this is a guy that deserves this honor. Again, the only guy first team offense or defense from the all decade nineties team that is not in the pro football hall of fame, a team that was selected by the pro football hall of fame voters. I want to see them write that wrong. John Lynch also up for it. And Rondé Barber, a first-time nominee, a guy that I think really should hear have his case heard as well. It's not Lynch's fault. It's not Butler's fault. It's not Barber's fault. It wasn't Steve Atwater's fault. For a lot of years, the Pro Football Hall of Fame really neglected the safety position. And kind of like your mail getting bunched up, if you don't get that all streamlined, there's going to be kind of a log jam there. So you have to be able to usher these things in. I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame has done a good job of that the last three, four years. But at the end of the day, we have five more years here, Mike. This is how I worded it in my tweet. We have five more years to write a really big wrong. I know it's a big class. I understand that it's very difficult to get multiple players at positions unless you're first ballot nominees into the Hall of Fame the same year. But I really hope they take a long, deep look at, at Butler's candidacy and understand that this isn't just about a guy that had some cool numbers. It's about how he changed the defense in Green Bay and really is one of the most beloved Packers players on an era in which is one of the most dominant times in the NFL when you look yeah. at what Green Bay did over those three seasons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know me, Wes. I'm kind of a math guy. I look at the numbers a lot. And this is what I've continued to say. Not that I don't want Leroy Butler to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as soon as possible, and I am all with you that he is he is absolutely deserving, and he, he was a Hall of Famer on those back-to-back -back Super Bowl teams for the Packers in the 90s. But – if Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning, and and uh, Megatron, the wide receiver for the Lions, if they all get in as first ballot Hall of Famers this year out of the 15 finalists, that leaves only two other spots in this year's class for the other 12 finalists. And so that's why I say I'm just not sure if this is really the year that that Butler can, you know, can can crack that. From a math perspective, you know, if you say wait another year and if you can become a finalist again, if there's only one maybe first ballot guy that's going to get in, then suddenly there's four spots open for 14 other finalists. You know, four out of 14 is better odds than two out of yeah. 12. That's just the way I look at it. So um, I do, I really do hope Leroy Butler gets in and I'm with you. I hope he doesn't have to wait for the senior committee. I hope he can do it in, uh, in the modern era process but we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. It, it, uh, when you look at the, the last two Packers defensive backs to get into the Hall of Fame, you're talking about Herb Adderley and Willie Wood from the Lombardi Packers, and now the Packers have two others from defensive secondary and Charles Woodson and Leroy Butler who are both up for the Hall of Fame the same year. It's a pretty special time no matter how it shakes out. Well, even though, Mike, everybody tells me I look like Steve Kornacki, I am not a numbers guy. I am not a math guy. <laughs> I am just a guy that goes by the seat of his pants, just by emotion, Mike. And my emotion tells me I don't care if there was four people that are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers this year. I don't care if there's going to be three. Leroy Butler deserves to get his case heard. And I will say this. 
without any argument whatsoever. The other two guys, let's say Megatron is a first ballot. I, I, I have no doubt about um, yeah. Manning, Manning and Woodson. Woodson. Yeah. I'm guessing Megatron also is. His numbers are just too good for the era in which he played. But whoever those other two are, are going to be really interesting names because there is kind of a log jam. There are multiple guys that have been up numerous years. And then, by the way, mm-hmm. Clay Matthews Jr. also in his last year of eligibility finally becomes first time a finalist. Now, that doesn't necessarily bode well for him making it, but that probably does suggest there will be, you know, if he doesn't get in, the the uh, senior com- senior nominee. I'm losing my mind now. Senior nominee the next year. So yeah. there are options here, but those two other guys, if those other three get in, are going to be really interesting names to watch. Hopefully one of them is Leroy Butler. Yeah. Well, we will have to wait until Super Bowl weekend to find out for sure. But uh, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here during divisional playoff week all week long on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.